a word of testimony now. I'll give you time for that. I know God's been good to you. Take your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 50. Our text verse tonight is verse 20. Genesis 50, verse 20. I'm not going to quite back to the beginning, but we're getting in that book of Genesis a little bit tonight. Most of you who know me know this is probably my favorite story in all the Word of God. The story of Joseph. Our topic tonight is dealing with bitterness. Genesis 50, verse 20. Are you there yet? Say amen. Amen. Now, Joseph is speaking here. Listen to what he says. But as for you, you thought it evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. I want to remind us all tonight, including myself, God has a plan. I remember years ago, uh, when we first, after shortly after we got saved, uh, we didn't have a official bulletin. Um, Nothing like that. And I don't remember when we started or who the pastor was, but it, before I became pastor, and somebody decided we need to have a bulletin. You know, we're going to have songs here. We're going to do this. And you wouldn't believe some of the people complain, how can you plan a service? And my response is, I'm glad that God planned. Amen. God didn't shoot from the hip. He has a plan. And of course, Joseph speaking here, he's speaking to his brothers. He knew what their intent was. He knew the motive behind what they did. But it reminds them God had a plan. How many know that God knows what we don't know? What we could never know. And I think it's safe to say today, no matter who we are, When tragedy comes, we ask the what, the why, and the where. We ask, what does this mean? What does this tragedy mean? And we ask often, why did it happen? And then the where, where is God in all of this? Probably the most difficult of the three, and they're all difficult, those questions. The most difficult question is the why. Why? We hear or we read of some disaster. We read of a mass murder. And somehow deep inside, we know that what happened should not have happened. Why? And especially when tragedy comes to our house. When tragedy comes to our home, we often want to know why. Why? 
And yet sometimes, I think most of the time, we deep down inside we know that in this life we may never know the why. We may never know the why. And we realize because we may never know the why, we have to leave it in the hands and the heart of God. To the why. And then we want to know, and we often ask, where is God in all of this? Where is God in all of this? And we desire to know the answer to that question when the trials are painful and doubt comes knocking on our doors. During a difficult time for Christ on the cross, he asked in Matthew 27, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now I realize there's a debate going on because the relationship God, the Father, God, the Son, God could never forsake him. But that doesn't matter. Guess how Jesus felt? He felt as though God was not there. If we are going to ever even come close to discover meaning in tragedy, we have to have a right perspective. We need to deal with that question in a way that allows for a rational answer. And the only way to do that, hear me well, is through a Christian, biblical worldview. Because I want to tell you, without that, hardly anything makes sense. And we will struggle with the why, the where, in our lives. Make no mistake about it, our God is in control. In the good times, in the bad times. And our God instills meaning in every moment and every event in history. And because He's the one who gives everything purpose, everything meaning, it's only through God through Him, that we can find, at least begin to find, meaning when life hurts. Meaning and suffering. I don't mean to shock you tonight, but the world we live in is not a safe place. Isn't it true? It's not a safe place. In fact, our world lends itself to tragic events. But thank God he speaks to us. God speaks to us so that we can find not only meaning, but salvation and even relief from the sufferings of this world. 
So I'm convinced that when we ask, where is God in all of this? I think many people, and even a lot of Christians, go wrong at this point precisely because of bad theology. Amen. If God was good, he wouldn't let bad things happen. Is that what the Bible says? No. That's bad theology. And the longer I serve Christ, the more I study his word, the more I am convinced that good theology is the answer to the deepest questions of life. Understanding who God is. Understanding who we are. And how God works in the world. And by the way, that's what good theology is all about. And that gives us a framework for responding to life's darkest moments. How many know bad things happen to everyone in our world? I wanted to say bad things happen to good people, but the Bible says there's none good. No, not one. But bad things happen to everyone. And I want you to continue to pray for my dad. Boy, he needs to be saved. All people do. But you know the reason he has that mindset, you know, anything that's bad is God's fault. Uh, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, we somehow we have determined that we have the right to say what's normal and what's not. Only God has that right. But my dad doesn't have a Christian worldview. And so his idea is if it's bad, God caused it. He's just a bully, blah, blah, blah. If we're ever going to understand, we've got to have good theology. Whenever you study physical motion, it is critical to understand perspective. Now, bear with me tonight. Speed and acceleration are only, only have a meaning in relation to some other object. That object has to be a reference point. Think about that. And the way in which a reference point moves affects our perception. The same is true when it comes to a sense of right and wrong. For concepts of good, bad, evil, right, wrong, tragedy. If they're going to be meaningful in our lives, they have to be anchored in a reference point that does not change or move. Think about that. And the only valid reference point for those issues is God. We've got to be anchored in God.
the very fact that we consider mass murder a wrong, that in itself suggests the idea of God as a reference point. A reference point for the sense we have of good and evil. And without God, now think about this, without God, even the events we would consider the most tragic have no more meaning than anything else. And I'm going to tell you, folks, we see that in our world today. Things that people used to shudder at doesn't bother them anymore. It doesn't matter as much as it used to. And we have to understand, if you will, the nature of this world. We need to understand the nature of our relationship with God in order to understand or to draw any meaning from anything that we see. And we must never forget that God infuses every moment and every event with meaning and He gives us confidence that He understands what we are going through. Thank God. We also must understand there is more going on in the universe than we ever dreamed possible. No matter how much we think we understand, there is so much we don't understand because our vision is limited. And if you're like me, we struggle with this thought. And even though we might not like it, God will often use adversity and mistreatment to bring us where he wants us to be. A.W. Tozer said this, It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he's hurting deeply. When we're, go- when, we are- when we're going through the ordeal of being unfairly attacked, when people lie about us, when our reputation is being smeared, when friends betray us, when a husband or a wife Abandoned us. Our mindset, it cannot be possible. It's impossible that anything like that could accomplish anything good. But they can. Because what we see is so much less than what God sees. And the good that may come 
from the treachery of others, now hear me well, is not planned by the hand of man. It's not planned by the hand of man. We cannot see it in advance. And the only way we can see it is through the eye of faith. Something good is going to come out of this. It's not necessarily good come out, but work together for our good. And here's what I've got to remind myself over and over again. God gets involved even when I think nothing is happening. Amen. And the end result, and I confess, sometimes we won't see it until many years later. But the end result is easily and naturally seen to promote our good and God's glory. And there'll come a time when God works out His purpose, we will look back and say, it had to happen that way. It had to happen that way. Tonight we're using the example, a biblical example of Joseph. And my opinion only, there is no better example of that principle than the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. What a story. What a God. You know Joseph, the most loved son of his father Israel, also known as Jacob. It was Jacob, his father, gave him a multicolored tunic. Now, by the way, one of David's daughters had one of those. And she tore it when her half-brother raped her. But that was given to the favorite. And a lot of times, the favorite didn't have to work as hard either. I'm not sure about that with Joseph or not. But it certainly showed that his father favored him. Favored Joseph above all the rest of his sons. Kind of interesting. We see that happening several times in the patriarchs. It causes trouble. According to the Bible, Joseph was 17 years old. And he brings back a bad report about his brothers to dad. And it didn't set well with his brothers. They hated him for that. Now we're not told what they were doing, but he comes back and he tells dad. And then after that, Joseph has a dream. And he dreams that one day, he'll be exalted above his brothers and even Above his parents. 
Now remember, if you read the story in Genesis, in my opinion, it's very clear that Joseph realized this was from God. But it doesn't matter. He relays that dream. And his brothers hated him all the more. And became even jealous of him. But his father Jacob pondered on that matter. Not sure how much time had passed, but there came a time when the other brothers were feeding the flock in Shechem. So Jacob sends Joseph to find out how are they doing. And in the process, the brothers had devised a plot to kill the dreamer. Now convinced in their mind, if you kill the dreamer, guess what? The dreams are not going to happen. They'll never be fulfilled. See, the problem was they didn't know what God was doing. So Reuben, the oldest one, didn't want to kill Joseph. So he came up with a plan. He wanted an opportunity to rescue Joseph. And he persuaded the brothers not to do such a thing. And he says, let's just put him in a cistern. Now, Reuben planned to come back later and get him, take him back to dad. So the brothers, the first thing they did, they took the coat of many colors, the tunic, off of Joseph. I mean, can you imagine the sight of that made him mad? So they stripped him of that, threw him in a dry cistern to leave him there to die. Shortly, a caravan of Midianite traders come and say, you know what? We got a chance to make a buck. You don't have to kill our brother. Let's just sell it. Get rid of him. And they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. They take that multicolored tunic. They dip it in blood. Take it back to Dad. Say, Dad, is this Joseph? Yeah, it is. They didn't say it, but Jacob automatically assumed that some wild animal had killed Joseph. Some ferocious animal. The caravan is headed to Egypt. Joseph taken there. They sell him to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh. And Potiphar makes Joseph the head of his house. And when again, we're not told for how long it went on, but Potiphar's wife had eyes for Joseph. She tried to seduce him. He refused to do that. And one day after he rebuked her advances, 
she accused Joseph of attempted rape. Joseph is thrown into prison by Potiphar. While he's there, he finds favor with the one in charge of the prison, and he makes Joseph kind of second in command in that area. But he's still in prison. There's a baker there. There's a butler there. They both had dreams, and both dreams came true. The baker dies. The cupbearer is released. And as he's getting out of his prison clothes, getting ready to go back into the population, Joseph says to the cupbearer, put a good word in for me. Put a good word in for me. Now, I think the cupbearer had good intentions. He planned on it. But the Bible says he forgot. He forgot all about Joseph. Two more years come and go. And then one day, Pharaoh has a dream. A troubling dream. And no one could interpret it. He didn't have one dream. He had two dreams. And then all of a sudden, the cupbearer remembers Joseph. He remembers there was a man in prison who was able to interpret dreams. And Joseph interprets the dream. And Pharaoh elevates him to second in the land. Let me pause for a moment. And I don't know for sure, but if I'd have been Joseph, there'd have been a few times I'd have asked myself, where is God in all of this? You sent me a dream so many years ago. And you said I'd be elevated above all my family, including my parents. And now I've been sold into slavery. Now I'm in prison. God, where are you in all of this? Remember the principle. When we think nothing's happening, God is at work. God has a plan. Just like Joseph predicted. Now, by the way, he didn't take credit for it. He said, God, give me the revelation here. He told me what it's all about. But just like Joseph said, famine comes. Not just to Egypt, but the surrounding countries as well. And so Jacob and his family are affected by the famine. So Jacob sends his sons to Egypt looking for food. Now remember, their attitude was, you really think we'll bow down to you? Do you think that's going to happen, little brother? Not on your life. But oh, they didn't know. They didn't know that God was at work. They get to to Egypt. 
They don't know it's Joseph. All they know is he's other than Pharaoh, the highest in the land. And the first thing they did was what? They bowed down before him. Then Joseph begins to test them to determine their sincerity. And eventually there'll come a time, a moment, when Joseph is going to reveal his true identity. And that brings us to chapter 45 of Genesis. In the early parts of chapter 45, the Bible says that Genesis, that Joseph, not Genesis, Joseph, sends Egyptians away. And he reveals himself to his brothers. And they are terrified. They are terrified to meet the brother that 15 years earlier they had sold into slavery. And now, guess who's in control? Guess who has them in his grasp? He could order them killed, and guess what would happen? It would happen. He could have them tortured. He could have them put in jail. He could find them. In fact, Joseph could do anything to them he wanted to do. Look at the bigger reveal, chapter 45, verse 3. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him. Why? For they were troubled at his presence. I think we're putting it lightly when we say his brothers were stunned by the news. They were stunned to the core. And they were so terrified, afraid, that Joseph would have had him them killed. The Bible says they couldn't even speak. Now, you see, their problem was they still had a worldly mindset. Because that's what they would have done if they were in Joseph's shoes. So surely, Joseph was probably going to have us killed after what we've done to him. Now, our focus tonight and next week, Lord willing, is how to deal with bitterness. And I want to suggest tonight that if anybody had a right to be bitter, it was Joseph. It was Joseph. Now, I tried to do the math on this, and I, I came up with about 15 years of his life that he lost. Fifteen years. And also understand, Joseph was indeed a man of integrity. But I wonder how great the temptation was to get even. But he doesn't. But notice beginning in verse 4 through 8, how he summarizes the whole situation. 
Genesis 45, verse 4, Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me. I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Stop right there. Now remember, Joseph spoke the Egyptian language. He communicated through an interpreter. They didn't know who he was. They didn't know he could understand every word they said <coughs> without an interpreter. <clears throat> so maybe they were thinking, maybe he's not Joseph. But he said, I am Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. I wonder who else those brothers told they had sold Joseph in Egypt. I suggest it was the best kept family secret ever was. Only Joseph knew it, and only they knew it. Of course, God knew it. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold in Egypt. Verse 5. Now, therefore, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that you sold me hither. Why? For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall neither be earring or harvest. Verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save you alive by a great deliverance. So now... It was not you that sent me hither, but God. I ought to preach a sermon on that. Serious. That's a good idea. But God, and he hath made me a Pharaoh, I'm sorry, a father to Pharaoh, and the Lord of all of his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. I find it kind of interesting here, and I am convinced, at least in my own heart, as I study scriptures and what went on here, Joseph didn't say that to wound them. And he realized that his brothers, including most of us, sometimes we miss the big picture. And yes, Joseph had every right to be bitter. He had every right, from a human standpoint, To seek revenge. But my friend God had a plan. And I want to remind you again. As much as I love the story of Joseph. This story is not about about Joseph. It's about God. A God who said. I will have a people. And I want to tell you. There was nobody or any catastrophe. Would ever wipe him off the face of the earth. God is going to keep his promise. I want to go back to verse 4. Genesis 45. I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. 
Can you imagine the emotions? Can you imagine what's going on within their breasts? Now, Joseph was stirred by sympathy and joy. Now, remember, this wasn't the, this didn't happen the first time they met. And after the testing was finished and Joseph realized their attitudes have changed, he couldn't wait to reveal himself. He couldn't, re- he couldn't wait to reveal the plan that God had revealed to him. And so he was agitated by sympathy and joy. And they were astonished. They were confounded. They were terrified. And they couldn't hide their terror. They were absolutely dumbfounded. Now, by the way, he already said earlier in chapter 45 that he was Joseph. And they were so troubled that Joseph realized, I need to repeat what I said. And don't miss the affectionate term he used. He didn't say, I am Joseph, second command, who can take your life. He said, I am Joseph, your brother. I am Joseph, your brother. Now again, he wasn't trying to wound them when he spoke of how they sold him, wasn't trying to wound their feelings, but simply to convince him that he really was who he said he was. I am Joseph. But he also wanted to let them know, to remind them, to reassure their minds that he had traced The divine purpose in exile was a reason that he had the present honor. God was in all of this. All of this. I said earlier, I think about 15 years, and I won't be dogmatic on that, but if my understanding is correct, he was 17 years old when they sold him into slavery. He was 30 years old when he was promoted by Pharaoh. Two years of famine have gone by, so that's 15 years. Now, again, that's assuming that uh, no years had passed by when he was 17 before they sold him. We're not sure. But at least 15 years ago, they betrayed him. They betrayed him. Now, hear me. And God exalted Joseph. So that Joseph could save those who betrayed him. Isn't that like God? Do you see a picture of Jesus here? Amen. But notice the essential truth here. Genesis 45 verse 8. So now, it was not you that sent me hither, but God. What a clear statement of the providence of God. God sent me ahead of you. 
It wasn't you who sent me here. It was God. And hear me well. In the process, Joseph had come to understand that it's God's will, not man's, but God's will is the controlling reality in every event. And knowing that was the basis of this time of reconciliation. Everything that comes our way must first pass through the fingers of God. And I wondered, I wonder how many times through the years, through those difficult years, Joseph had consoled himself with that principle of faith. I'm not going to troll God is. How many know sometimes we're going to remind ourselves of that? And so Joseph came to a time in his life where he saw the hand of God in every event. And because he perceived the hand of God, he was able to forgive those who had wronged him so terribly. Joseph was given insight by God. God gave him insight to see that this was not some random chance. It was not an accident. It was not just good luck. Not at all. Three times, Joseph says to his brothers, God sent me ahead of you in order to save many lives. God did it. And it's interesting to me that Joseph shows empathy, true empathy with his brothers. Because he knows. He knows what it must mean in their troubled hearts To realize for the first time that their brother they had once tried to remove, once and for all, now stands before them and he has the power of life and death in his hands. Hmm. I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Reinforcing what he already said, but also at the same time an indictment, even a kind rebuke. Joseph knew exactly what they had done to him. He knew why. But he also knows the present moment. And he knows that everything is now beginning to become clear to his brothers. But when it does, it strikes terror and distress 
in their hearts. What a God. What a God. Verse 5, Genesis 45. Now, therefore, be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves, that you sold me hither. Don't miss this. He's speaking pastorally to his brothers. Don't beat yourself up. Yeah, you did it. But don't beat yourself up. Because Joseph offered forgiveness. He offers empathy and knowledge of the future. And Joseph shows it to them. He knows there will be five more years of famine. It's not over yet. Now, if you know the story, they, they planted his silver cup in Benjamin's bag. And that was a cup he would use to divine with. But he knows about the famine, not because he used the cup. He knows about the famine because, not because he studied the weather patterns and the movement of the Nile River when it floods or not. He's able to tell his brothers exactly how long the famine is going to last. You know how? Because God told him. God told him. Now I realize we're out of time, but I want to tell you something, folks. Until we allow God to become bigger than our circumstances, we'll live bitter lives. And for Joseph, God was bigger than his circumstances. Let's stand together. Did I tell you I love that story? I remember I drew you to very often. And just to be honest, there was never a time I read that story that I didn't cry and weep. But my friend, we have a God who cares so much about us. A God who goes ahead of us. And I think you'll agree tonight, God went before Joseph through all the trials that he had. And my challenge tonight is this. No matter what you're going through, when the why and the where and the how come, when you can't see the hand of God, trust His heart. Father, we thank You tonight for Your goodness and Your mercy. We thank You, Father, that when we could not come to You, You came to us. Thank you for sending a Savior, Lord, who died even to save those who betrayed him. Thank you for walking with us each and every day. We have so much to be thankful for. We love and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen.